0: Hello and welcome to Inside Baseball, a look at healthcare politics and policy in Washington, part of Hall Render's Practical Solutions podcast series. I'm John Williams. I'm a shareholder with Hall Render and managing partner of its Washington DC office. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Andrew Coates for the inaugural edition of our podcast. Since this is our first podcast, we'd like to take a little more time to introduce ourselves. Between the two of us, we have over 40 years of experience working in Washington DC. In my case, Uh, I first came to Washington in 1996, where I served as press secretary for what was then called the House Committee on Government Reform and Oversight. While there, I also served as policy advisor to the chairman on issues such as Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Andrew, you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks, John, and I bristle a little bit at the fact that we have over 40 years of DC experience (laughs) now, but time marches on. I came to the Hill um, after, uh, in 2000 after college, worked in the Bush administration um, as a legislative liaison before working on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress handling healthcare issues. Um, after law school, um, I went to the private side. So I've experienced both from an administrative congressional standpoint uh, and now in private practice where we've been working together with uh, healthcare clients for over a decade now.
0: Thanks, Sandra. So, the goal of this podcast is to not only provide an update on healthcare policy developments in Washington, but also to give you, our listeners, uh, an inside look at the politics uh, of healthcare on Capitol Hill, at the White House, and within uh, federal agencies like CMS, FDA, or, or HHS. We plan to keep this at about 15 minutes in the future. Uh, however, given that uh, this is our first podcast, we're probably going to go a little bit further than that. As President Obama once said, you, you can't separate policy from politics. So our goal is to not only tell you what is happening, uh, but to also give you a look at why it's happening and where things could be going. That last item is is really the crystal ball political prediction stuff that we learn from our day-in and day-out work with lawmakers, congressional staff, and regulators at federal agencies. Since we are lawyers, I'm obligated to tell you that our predictions are based on the best information we have at the time that we get it, but it's also based on what happens traditionally uh, on Capitol Hill and and, uh, in federal agencies year in and year out. So, Uh, Like the price of gasoline, things in Washington can change very quickly, so uh, please forgive us if our predictions are wrong from time to time. The general format of this podcast will be to look at healthcare policy developments from a legislative and regulatory perspective. Uh, In each edition, one of us will give a legislative update on Capitol Hill, uh, and the other will give an update on regulations coming out of or pending before federal agencies. Uh, usually with an update on regulations under review by the Office of Management and Budget at the White House. So with that, I will turn it over to Andrew to give you an update on Capitol Hill.
1: Thanks, John. And before we get rolling on the Hill update, I think it's worth noting uh, that if you've been on Capitol Hill in September, Congress has now entered phase three of its reopening plan and being on the Hill this week and last it felt like we were back in 2019. You had relaxed entry requirements into the House and Senate buildings. You had tours at the Capitol of Resume. So you see tour groups and school groups up there. It felt normal again.
0: But the traffic's back to being the way it always is, right?
1: The traffic was horrendous this week. It took pre <laughs> pandemic uh, commutes, which was not enjoyable. But at the same time, things started to feel normal again. And you know, with that return to normalcy, there's a buzz um, that's returned, that's been really missing from Congress in and, and DC since February of 2020. So it, it's nice to be back. And we're now deep into September of a midterm election year. And that traditionally means that Congress has one major must pass item on their to-do list. And that's passing the coming year's spending bill. So for this year, it's the FY23 appropriations bill. And they need to do that by the end of the fiscal year, September 30th. Now, Congress won't be able to do that before the November midterms. They almost never do, especially in an election year. So most likely, they will extend current funding, FY22, to mid-December. There's a framework um, in place for the CR, which would extend funding to December 16th. That's a Friday, and that's kind of the target end date right now for Congress. Yes. And,
0: and let me jump in here real quick because tell them a little bit about what a continuing resolution is. You referenced a CR. What, what is a CR in general?
1: Yeah, CR just keeps the current year's funding going. It keeps it rolling so you don't have government agencies shutting down or furloughing employees and um, essentially shutting down the federal government. So you have a CR which they'll assign a certain time frame. In, in this instance, they want to get through the November midterms. So They can go back to their state and district in October and campaign. And then after the election, sometime usually around mid-November, they come back. And then there's a three to four week sprint um, at the end of the year. It's kind of the end of the year craziness that Congress has, especially at the end of a Congress. And that's to finish up business.
0: Um, And that's what they they traditionally have referred to as a lame duck session, right? Of course. yep. So with
1: that, we have... The immediate focus right now of Congress is what policies get attached to this c resolution framework. And two, the longer term focus is what gets included in an end of the year omnibus bill, which is that funds the entire government, all the federal agencies. And it includes a lot of policy riders because that's the last train out of town and it will be for the 117th Congress. So let's talk about a short-term CR. Um, One of the big items that's getting a lot of buzz right now is the FDA user fee bill. This is this comes up every five years. It needs to be passed by Congress by September 30th. Otherwise, FDA has to begin the process of furloughing employees. Now, the FDA bill, it's a time eater for Congress. It takes over a year of negotiation between Congress, FDA, industry stakeholders but it almost always passes before September 30th. And when it does pass, it passes with Republicans and Democrats in lockstep. This year could be different. Senator Burr, he's a retiring member from North Carolina. He's the ranking member on the Senate Hall Committee. He voted against the FDA bill at the end of the Senate markup back uh, during the summer, which is an unusual move. So what we're looking at because of that is some sort of extension Um, or just passing a clean FDA user fee bill without the policy riders that were added in by the House and Senate in the spring and summer. Now, today is September 22nd. The Senate Health Committee has been negotiating this since last fall. At some point, the committee's lack of action, is I like to say, is gonna make dad pull the car over on vacation. So someone, and what I mean by that is, someone working under the dome, in the capital, so someone for leadership with either Schumer or McConnell, maybe both, their staff, they're gonna to have to come down and override the committee and tell them, if you're not gonna do this, we're gonna do it. And that is something committee chairmen do not like, committee staff do not like, but we're getting dangerously close to that point if we're not there already. So look for the FDA user fee, some sort of extension or clean user fee bill to be included in the CR. Another item would be additional COVID funding. Uh, the administration made a supplemental funding request for 22.4 billion for COVID and monkeypox funding in early September. This is a really high, this is becoming a really high bar to reach consensus on in an election year, given President Biden's comments on 50 minutes on Sunday that COVID was over. <laughs> he said, the pandemic is over. Um, if you're the administration and you're congressional liaisons to the administration, it's hard now to make that case that our country is not going to function without the billions of dollars in supplemental funding, which is the case they have to make to Congress when they're asking for this, this increase in funding.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that you're right. I mean, I mean, Republicans on the Hill have been hesitant all along to add more money to COVID, given the amount of money, you know, in their view, that that was spent uh, you know, previously. And yeah, you're right to, 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 to your point. Um, I'm not sure that the president's comments on 60 minutes uh, that the pandemic is over helped much. And I think you 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 know you quickly saw the secretary of HHS, the CMS administrator, the CDC administrator walking those comments back pretty quickly, but yeah. Right. You know, it just makes it a heavier lift, right? And much heavier lift. No doubt. Now, bigger picture, you know,
1: Biden was at a car show where people were without masks. I think it was fair to say the intent was to show and demonstrate life is returning to normal. But
0: right,
1: right. I know providers certainly know they're still treating COVID cases. People are still dying from COVID every day. So at the end of the day, the COVID, the supplemental COVID funding is the potential for the CR or and or into the omnibus. Another item that could be included in the CR is mental and behavioral health care. Uh, During the summer, the talks surrounding mental health and behavioral health was all the buzz. It has bipartisan support. Our country was in the wake of a number of high profile shootings. And when you hear members discuss healthcare issues, they're hearing about in their district or state, almost everyone mentions behavioral health. Now, yesterday, the House Ways and Means Committee had a markup. They advanced a package of six bills designed to improve Medicare coverage for mental health services. These bills included amending Medicare PPS for psychiatric hospitals and psychiatric units. It included a bill that would bolster coverage of the Medicare outpatient mental health services. It included a bill that would allow coverage of marriage and family therapist services and mental health counselor services under Medicare. It included a bill that would direct HHS to provide outreach and reporting on certain behavioral health integration services offered through Medicare. Another bill would direct the HHS Secretary to provide outreach and reporting on opioid use disorder treatment services furnished by programs under Medicare, and the sixth bill would amend the Social Security Act and establish exceptions for certain physician wellness programs. So this package of six bills is, will most likely presumably get through the House. But the buzz around mental health package in the Senate, seemed seem to cool a little bit. Uh, regardless, look for these provisions to potentially be included in the end-of-the-year omnibus package. Another big area is telehealth. You know, at some point, the Biden administration is gonna have to declare the public health emergency is over. The administration has said now for quite some time that they're gonna provide hospital associations 60 days notice before they announce the PHE ends. So there's a line of thinking that sometime around mid-November after the midterm election, they're going to announce the PHE will come to an end in January. And with that, when, once the PHE ends, a number of different telehealth waivers that have been in place since 2020 will also come to an end. So Congress is going to need to either extend these telehealth waivers or make them permanent. And end of the year omnibus it would be the obvious place to do that. John, do you have any
0: thoughts on when? Yeah, they- yeah. I, I mean, the, the telehealth stuff. I mean, right. That's so. Congress addressed, you know, the telehealth waiver thing in the last omnibus they did, and what they did was they they they, they granted a one hundred fifty-one day extension from the end of the public health emergency. And and Andrew noted that you know we did not get sixty days notice that we were promised from HHS that the that the PHE was going to expire. Um, in October, uh, when it is currently set to expire. So everyone is operating under the assumption um, that it will be renewed in January. Uh, given the president's comments on 60 minutes, uh, it's gonna be kind of tough for them to say that, you know, we need to continue the public health emergency come January. Uh, so if it ends in January, then that's gonna trigger the 150 day uh, time period for them to um, to, to, to address which waivers they want to make permanent. Um, there is a piece of legislation that passed the House that was sponsored by Liz Cheney that would increase that 150-day window to two years. Um, I haven't heard from a lot of people in the Senate, especially Republicans, that they're too keen on taking that bill up. A lot of that has to do with the politics of there are a lot of Republicans these days who, who aren't big fans of Liz Cheney's. So that may be uh, one of the reasons that we end up staying with just the 150-day uh, waiver uh, or the 150-day window for them to figure out what they're going to do. And as as Andrew and I say all the time, um, you know, Congress operates under the mantra of why do today what you can put off until tomorrow. <laughs> and so I would expect that whenever the PHE ends, Congress is going to take most of the 151 days to figure out which waivers like permanently uh, eliminating the geographic and originating site restrictions to telehealth, which is really the big one. Um, they're going to take all that time to figure that out. So,
1: One of the other items that tend to move in either a CR or omnibus package is called Medicare extenders. And this is a package of Medicare-related extenders that tend to be a lot of rural health or behavioral, health, behavioral health-related provisions that usually enjoy strong bipartisan support. These are bills that can move either on the suspension calendar in the House or on UC in the Senate, really without opposition. John, do you wanna talk about some of the Medicare extenders that we may see in either that Congress is currently trying to move and may get thrown into the package next week or at the end of the
0: year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So these extenders are essentially different programs or different uh, payment adjustments um, that, that Congress is responsible for renewing so many years and, and they expire uh, at, you know, at different times. Those that are set to expire uh, in about eight days at the end of this fiscal year include uh, the Medicare-Dependent Hospital Program, the low-volume hospital adjustment payment, and the rural ambulance add-on payment. Uh, those are three very important rural healthcare programs. And from the folks that we've all talked to uh, on the Hill, those will be included uh, in the continuing resolution. We still haven't seen the language for the continuing resolution yet. As of this morning, uh, we understand that, that it's the goal to pass it next week before Congress breaks for the uh, midterm election. So we understand that those healthcare policy riders are gonna ride with the CR but probably probably none of the others. And and you know, Andrew mentioned the, uh, a package of healthcare bills that came out of Ways and Means yesterday. And one of those that, that Andrew referenced uh, deals with uh, the physician self-referral law, also known as the Stark Law. This is something that Hall Render, uh, we at Hall Render have been working on for many, many years. And that bill was actually something that we worked with to have drafted Um, by Congressman Raul Ruiz of California, Larry Bouchon of Indiana, uh, Greg Murphy of North Carolina, and Don Beyer of Virginia. Um, Basically, what it's intended to do is to create a new exception under the Stark Law for Physician Wellness Programs. Physician burnout has become an enormous issue. Healthcare workforce burnout is an enormous issue. Um, And... That's something that we've we've really tried to help address with this. and And one of the things that happened earlier was that uh, Congress passed something called the Lorna Breen Act. And what the Lorna Breen Act did, well, let me back up, Lorna breen was was an emergency medicine physician in New York City who unfortunately uh, committed suicide because of stress and burnout. Congress passed this legislation, that part of which creates a grant program where hospitals can apply to the government for grants to run wellness programs. Well, one of the problems there is that the Stark Law doesn't permit hospitals to spend money remuneration on non-employed physicians unless it meets one of the Stark Law exceptions. And there was no provision in Lorna Green that addressed the Stark Law. So since 53% of physicians in the country are not employed by a hospital, a hospital couldn't spend Lorna Green money on uh, wellness programs for those physicians without violating Stark. So we work with uh, members of Congress to draft this bill to not only correct the issue with Lorna Breen and the Stark law, but to also create a whole new exception that will allow physicians to um, allow hospitals to provide wellness programs to non-employed physicians without violating Stark. Uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about yet, Andrew, is this idea of a year-end catch-all healthcare bill. Um, Andrew's mentioned the continuing resolution, which is what they're gonna do next week, it looks like, to keep the government running through at least the middle of December, at which point they're gonna have to figure out um, whether or not they're gonna do uh, an, an omnibus appropriations bill for fiscal year 23, or they're gonna do another continuing resolution into, um, into 2023. From all practical purposes, from everything that we've heard, uh, we think it's likely they will do an omnibus in December. Um, but there are things that won't be included in the omnibus uh, that lawmakers hope to include in a health care catch-all health care bill. What usually happens at the end of a session of a two-year session of Congress is that you have all of these bills that members have introduced that, Haven't passed. And when you have a dynamic like we do now, where it appears likely that Republicans are going to take control of the House in January, you have a whole bunch of Democrats who really want their pet projects to be passed before they lose control of the process. You very well may see this catch all bill where a whole bunch of different things uh, get included. And that is someplace where you could see all of the bills that Andrew. Uh, just referenced coming out of Ways and Means yesterday, uh, including that START bill. One other thing to add is that just because the House wants to do a year end catch all bill doesn't mean that the Senate is going to do a year end catch all bill too, or even would pass it. In fact, I've had conversations with Senate staffers over the last couple of weeks where I've referenced, you know, year-end catch-all healthcare bills, and they've just essentially rolled their eyes and said, "Yeah, the House may do that, but I'm not really sure if we're going to do that over here." So, that really leaves us. If that doesn't happen, then there's a lot of pieces of legislation out there. Um, for example, the Save Act, which is a which is a bill sponsored by Larry Bouchon of Indiana that would essentially mirror. Uh, the current law, where it's a felony to attack a airline flight crew member, we would apply that to to healthcare workers in the healthcare setting. Um, that's a policy thing that could be included in in some sort of urine all bill. Um, you know, our Stark law bill, uh, you know, would go in something like that. Um, there are other avenues as well, so you really kind of come down to this year-end thing of the you know a year-end catch-all policy bill. But Andrew, you know, mentioned you you, you got to fund the government, and the interesting thing here is that policy bills like a year-end catch-all, if they have if they have provisions in them that require money from the federal government, then lawmakers are going to have to find offsets to pay for those. And so that's where that's where it really becomes difficult is if you've got a bill that costs anything. And for example, our Stark law bill doesn't cost anything. The Save Act doesn't cost anything. Um, but one of the other issues that we haven't really talked about yet that Congress has to address before the the end of the year is the four percent Medicare sequester cut. And this is something that uh, providers are facing because the American Rescue Plan wasn't fully paid for and the statutory pay-go, pay-as-you-go rules require subsequent cuts if a piece of legislation like that isn't fully really paid for. So we're looking at a 4% sequester cut in January. And so that that just sort of provides added pressure for lawmakers to do an omnibus instead of a continuing resolution uh, come, de- come December. And th- from everybody that we've talked to on the Hill, they're well aware of it and know that they have to address it. So that's
1: a, a big picture of some of the items that Congress is going to be dealing with in the next couple of months. Um, I, I, it's not an exhaustive list; there may be others. But from a healthcare perspective, it's a pretty good snapshot of what they're focusing on. John, do you have any thoughts on the regulatory front? Some of the things that may be coming down the pipeline?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, things have been somewhat quiet from a regulatory perspective over the last several weeks. As many of you listening to this know, CMS must issue payment rules each year, uh, which either cover a fiscal year or a calendar year. Um, The fiscal year payment rules like uh, IPPS, LTAC, uh, inpatient rehabilitation facility and inpatient psychiatric facility uh, payment rules, those have all been finalized already, so I'm not going to spend any time discussing those other than to know that there really wasn't too much controversy surrounding those. As for the calendar year, 2023 payment rules. So the OPPS, ambulatory surgery center uh, rule, the physician fee schedule, those rules have not been finalized yet. The comment period for those uh, ended earlier this month. So we're expecting those to be finalized and released sometime in late October or early November. Uh, From a content perspective, CMS is proposing to increase Uh, payment rates under the OPPS and ASC uh, by 2.7%, which is about a $7.2 billion increase for OPPS and $130 million increase for ASC over what was in 22. Um, What many folks are watching for in the OPPS is how CMS intends to deal with the fact that the Supreme Court overturned the almost 30% cut to 340B discounts uh, done under the Trump administration. Um, CMS has to figure out what is, you know, they're, they're, they're referring to as unscrambling that egg. Um, they, the, the OPPS proposed rule, uh, said that they didn't have the time to address that in the proposed rule, but that the final rule would have some sort of formula by which 340B entities that were subject to those cuts are going to get that money back, whether it's you know, a, a, a one-time payment or prospectively, you know, an increase in payment or increase in discount down the down the road, which I think is what's more likely to happen because it would be really too hard to figure it out any other way. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, as for the physician fee schedule, um, CMS is proposing a 4.42% reduction uh, in that. Um, and that reduction is driven really by the expiration of many of the increases that Congress made during the pandemic, the most recent one being in the last appropriations package um, that passed in December of last year, uh, which had they not acted would have been around 9.75%. While we love Larry Bouchon and we're not, you know, just this isn't the Larry Bouchon or the plug Larry Bouchon show, um, Larry and, and Congressman Amy Barra uh, have introduced the Supporting Medicare Providers Act of 2022, which would reverse this 4.42% reduction. Um, and you know, here's something that they're either trying to get into the omnibus, or most likely gonna try to get into the omnibus, because if they put it in a catch-all bill, they're gonna have to figure out how to pay for that. And by putting it in the omnibus, what they, what they do is they just bury it in there uh, with all this other spending uh, in a great big package Lawmakers have different reasons for voting for a great big bill like that. And while they may not like certain provisions in it, they end up voting for it anyway because they like most of the other provisions in it. So that's kind of tactically how they're gonna try to position that bill. Um, Lastly, the White House uh, Office of Management and Budget is responsible for reviewing all rules and regulations before they're made public. So we're always checking the OMB dashboard Uh, to see which rules have arrived for review. Uh, The dashboard doesn't provide too much information on the substance of many of these rules, uh, but we are able to get an idea of what they're about from either their title, their history, or or things that we pick up around town. Uh, A couple of those worth mentioning um, include a a HRSA proposed rule on 340 B alternative dispute resolution process. Uh, This is something that's been in the works for a long, long time. Uh, it's been pending at OMB for well over a year. We really don't have any idea when it's going to be released, but it's one that we're we're tracking really closely. Uh, another is titled uh, Rescission of the Regulation, entitled Protecting Statutory Conscience Rights in Healthcare Delegations of Authority. Uh, quite a mouthful. Uh, that was the Trump era regulation that was intended to, I'm going to get this right here, quote, provide protections in healthcare for individuals and, and entities uh, on the basis of religious beliefs or moral convictions. So this is the Biden administration reversing uh, the Trump era regulation uh, that deals with religious beliefs and moral convictions, which was quite controversial at the time that was passed anyway. Um, lastly, the uh, DEA has a regulation pending, that's titled Special Registration to Engage in the Practice of Telemedicine, which we expect will deal with the electronic prescription of drugs via telemedicine. Not too much more on that one, but one we are also tracking. And that's been pending for a while too, and really no idea uh, when that's gonna be coming out. So that is the regulatory overview, uh, the Capitol Hill overview. Andrew, anything you wanna add as we, we wrap this one up? No,
1: although I'd give us a shameless plug for our next podcast, which will take place sometime in October, and we'll have a lot of good hot takes on the upcoming election, some maybe some predictions, and what that may mean for Congress when they come
0: back in November and December. Exactly. That's always the fun one to do, right where we get to talk about campaign politics and, and how that will shake out on Capitol Hill, because to go too far down that road and ruin, ruin the content, but... There going to be a lot of changes, uh, especially in the House, as to who is in charge of the committees with jurisdiction over healthcare. So it's always fun to take a look at how that works. So thank you, Andrew. And thank you to everyone uh, who has joined us today on Inside Baseball, a look at healthcare politics and policy in Washington. If you'd like more information about what Andrew and I do, how we provide federal advocacy services to our clients, please visit our website at hallrender.com or you can reach out to me at jwilliams at hallrender.com or andrew at acoats at hallrender.com. One last disclaimer, please remember that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants only and do not constitute legal advice. Thanks for joining us everybody. Have a great rest of your day.